come to you, Lord, and worship you, Father, just recognizing you as the God who created us and who brought us here, who gave us life, gave us meaning, and gave us purpose. Father, we pray this morning that our lives would not be defined by our mistakes or by our past, but that we would be defined by who we are in you, that you would be our God, that you would be our Savior, that you would be our Redeemer. Father, Lord, we pray that you would just heal us of all of our weaknesses, all of our brokenness. Father, that you would make it happen in our lives, that when we call out to you, Father, one of the ways that we can do that this morning is to go to you and ask forgiveness for any sin or mistake that's in our lives, anything that doesn't need to be there. Father, we're just going to let those things go this morning. Lord, if there's anyone we need to forgive, whatever it may be, we're going to go to you, ask forgiveness, and just let those things go so that we can come and worship you this morning. Let's just do that right now, each of us individually. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and as we come this morning, Lord, and we talk about our involvement producing fruit, Father, I know in my heart that there is so much more fruit that could be produced by this church, and Father, I just pray that for each of us here this morning that we would take hold of your call in our lives and to make things happen. Father, we aggressively pursue our jobs, we aggressively pursue each other, but Father, when it comes to you, we don't want to give you second best. We want to aggressively pursue you with everything that we do. And so we ask that that would happen in our lives. Father, we pray this morning because we know that without your Holy Spirit in our lives, that that would never happen. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would just come into us and make us be the people that you want us to be, to equip us, to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us, Father. Lord, that it not be just words, but that our, our actions would also demonstrate the power of your Spirit going out into our world. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jealous. <laughs> now imagine, if you will, a Mecca where people from all over the world can partake in a celebration of miracles. We will lift their soul while we lighten their wallet. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, behold the Holy Land. theme park inspired by God himself. <laughs> Brad, darling, look who I found. Your Honor, it's a thrill to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And my favorite attorney. Yes. I owe you one, buddy. Mm, you sure do. All right. May I continue? Let me take on a journey. Please, Step this way. All right. Now, welcome to the Holy Land. Check it out. Bedouin breakfast. Come on, you gotta love it. <laughs> Mighty Moses. What is this, a cell job or an anniversary party? For a Jewish guest, Torah, 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 the water slide. And for our Japanese guest, Torah, 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 the water slide. <laughs> Look, water into winery. And what a great year for wine. Mmm. One. <laughs> My favorite attraction, here it is. The burning bush. Twice a night, we light up the skies with this. All right, I think we could all agree that there are false prophets in our world uh, in the sense that we commonly use that phrase, you know, people who uh, want to sort of sell us, you know, what uh, Tim Allen's quote is, of course, great, you know, raise our spirits while they, they lift our wallets and lighten our wallets and that sort of thing. We all know that, but today we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more detailed, something a little bit more distinct about when Jesus talks about false prophets. It's important that we realize that largely, or at least in many situations, he's not necessarily talking about this kind of guy, but it's talking about people who live their lives and go through their lives proclaiming that they are followers of Jesus rather than people who are actually serving God. You see, one of the problems is, is that the word prophecy 
in our, in our common everyday use of it, it's come to mean the Nostradamus thing, right? You know, this future, you know, future forecasting and that sort of thing. If someone predicts, you know, a recession or someone predicts a bear market or they predict a bull market, then we call them a prophet because they've predicted the future. But the thing is, is that that is not, thanks, over. That is not um, necessarily the way the Bible used the word prophet. And so when Jesus talks about a false prophet, he's talking about someone who basically is claiming things about God, speaking out for God through their actions, through their lives, but are not representing God in that way, or at least not accurately. So in this movie clip, we see questionable production. We would agree that Brad Sexton, Tim Allen in this movie clip is not producing fruit, right? How is the Torah, Torah, Torah water slide going to bring someone closer to the Lord? It's not, right? It's not. He's not producing fruit, which the Bible then labels him as someone who is falsely telling something about God that is not true, selling a bill of sales about God. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road, because the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is there's a danger for those of us who also are not producing fruit that we are also selling our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends and family members a bill of goods by saying that we are a believer, saying that we are a follower of Jesus, but there is no fruit to back it up. And so we're going to talk about this issue of producing fruit. Well, we're in our series on building a solid foundation. Um, it's a six-week series, Getting Our Lives on the Concrete. In the, first, uh, in the first message of the new year, we talked about the issue of us being um, our temptation to be on, live our lives on the sandy foundation rather than on the rock, on the solid foundation. I've noticed that in three years of being here now in California that it's very tempting for us to kind of, as church people, to kind of come in and occasionally consume and partake of church, but to never actually do anything that would constitute being the church in a biblical sense, right? Because being the church doesn't have anything to do with sitting in a pew and, you know, talking and thinking and, you know, checking our emails and hoping the pastor will get done soon or all these things, right? Being the church has to do with what? The church, as the Bible defines it, is the people of God gathered together on mission to change the world. That's what the church is, right? So coming and showing up on Sunday morning is not really being the church. It's only, it's like saying, it's like saying that you bought a house and you didn't buy it, you just kind of sat there on the front lawn, right? And you own this house now. Well, not really, okay? So we've been talking about this. Our strategy has been this. The first week we talked about commitment. We talked about the fact that it's not a commitment to an organization or a ministry, but that when we say that we're going to be a follower of Jesus, that when we raise our hands in Sunday morning service, or maybe we were in youth camp, or we were younger, or whatever it was, that when we did that, it entailed a commitment on our part to be a follower of Jesus and to, and to go to God with our problems, to go to God with our issues, that we're not going to live our lives separately now, but that we have entered into a covenant with God that we are going to follow Him. Even if He leads us somewhere we think is crazy, we're still going to follow Him. And the next step we talked about was understanding. The challenge I mentioned to you and the average churchgoer here in America is this, is that the average churchgoer... If you ask them, what is God's plan for your life? What does he want you to do? The average person will say, I don't know. If they've been in church for a while, they'll make something up like, well, God is leading me to, um, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit's telling me that I should read my Bible more or something like that. And they'll put some religious words together to think that it's going to fool people, right? But here's the problem. We talked about this, that when we get together with other people in the third week, it's kind of impossible to fool other people, right? It's easy for us to be sort of, you know, act like we're Christians when we're individuals. But when we come together, what happens? Naturally, we challenge each other. We encourage each other, right? We see each other's faults a little bit. And we say, hey, you know, can I help you with that? Or sometimes if we're working on togetherness, we, we don't say it quite so politely, right? But that's okay because we're working on it together. And we, what do we do if we're going to come together? We talked about this too, is that we cannot be offended at every little thing, right? We have to be willing to forgive and to come together. Now, last week we talked about if we want to, oh, yeah, if we want to get onto this solid rock, we want to leave the, the sand behind, that it requires us to follow God's plan, to not just understand it, but to really take hold of it, to aggressively pursue it, to make it happen in our lives. We talked about the fact that we aggressive, and throughout this whole series, that we aggressively pursue our portfolios, right? Our financial portfolios. We aggressively pursue our jobs, right? If there's a raise coming, 
and someone gets it on our team, we don't say, oh, no, you know, I don't care about the raise. What do we do? We show up early for that week. We, we shine our shoes. We look good. We tuck in our shirts, right? We make it happen because we really want that raise, but when it comes to following God, we're not quick to do that. But that's okay because our natural bent is not to follow God, but the challenge for you is to do that. And that's why I'm here and that's why the church exists to coach and encourage and challenge you to do the best that you can, live the best, be the best that you can be for God. So today we're going to talk about the next step, which is production. So here's our little, our little chart. These are not really steps. It's more organic than that. But if you want to get, if you're saying this year, hey, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, um, you know, New Year's resolution, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get, have the job I always wanted, let's also say I'm going to start really living my life for God. I'm going to live my life for Him. I'm not going to live my life for other people. I'm not going to live my life for other things, certainly not possessions or money. I'm going to live my life for things that are eternal value. Well, that requires us to get off the sandy soil, which is fun and enjoyable, and get onto the hard concrete. There's no other, there's no other answer. Now, here's a little lie. I've been telling a little lie for the last five weeks, so I'll deal with this a little bit more in a minute. The little lie I've been telling you is this. What little lie I've been saying? I've been saying that the sandy soil is fun and enjoyable, and the rock is hard and unyielding, right? But there's a little lie in that. What's the little lie in that? Well, if you've ever partied like it's 1999 and lived your life in a crazy, crazy way, right, then you know that after a while, the sandy soil doesn't feel quite so warm and sandy, right? That's little lie number one. But little lie number two, although it takes us being burned over and over again to realize that. And lie number two is that living on the rock can actually be quite enjoyable and can be quite awesome. It's an adjustment, right? It's an adjustment. But it can be quite awesome because we now have a freedom in Christ that we never had before when we lived our lives on the sandy soil. So we're going to talk about this because these are the things that are going to be, I think, as I was studying Scripture and trying to put this message together, that I think are going to be critical for us to be able to follow God and get off the sandy soil and get onto the concrete. All right, we're going to see what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 7, I've been trying to stay in Matthew um, just for this series to keep it uh, continuous. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking very simply about this. Let me say this as a caveat. If you want to turn your Bibles, it'll be up on the big screen as well. Is that he introduces this talking about false prophets, okay? But he uses this analogy multiple times in his ministry, okay? Like in Luke where there's no talk about false prophets. My point is don't try to get away from this passage on a technicality. Because this is not him talking about false prophets only. He's also talking about every one of us, that every one of us, that if we're not bearing fruit, then it means that something wrong in our spiritual lives, okay? So some of you will try to get away from this on a technicality by saying, well, you're not a false prophet. Well, here's the thing. We, every time, let me put it like this, every time I, every time me, Douglas, every time I go to the store and someone asks me, hey, are you, aren't you, don't you go to that church over there? Are you a Christian, something like that? And I'm like, Oh, uh, well, not, you know, um, well, I'm trying to get some food for my family, so I'll talk to you later. What am I doing there? That's me doing it, right? That's me doing it. And so all of us have a, tent a temptation to do that. We have a temptation to tell and to live our lives in a way that we proclaim that we are followers of Jesus, but our lives and our fruit don't back it up. We're going to talk about this in just a second. All right, here's what Jesus talked about. I just want to mention the caveat up front so no one tries to fall asleep as a caveat. Uh, or as a technicality, sorry. Beware of false prophets, okay? People who claim to speak for Jesus and God, okay? That's probably the best definition in English of a false prophet. So beware of them, people who claim to speak for Jesus and God, who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves, okay? Simple metaphor there, right? Because, you know, the, again, it's not talking about the guy in jail, Charles Manson type here. It's talking about the smiley guy or the lady in the nice dress and the nice suit who tells you this is what God wants you to do, right? Or this is what God doesn't want you to do, or whatever the case may be. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm going to speed cut you off at the light, uh, run the red light and wave to you if you get my drift as I go by, right? That's, that's, that's just as much the false prophet, right? So beware of these people who claim to speak for Jesus and God, but who come disguised. They seem harmless, but they're really vicious wolves. Now, he doesn't go on to why they are, but let me just explain to you, because... When you have someone who says that they're a Christian or they're a follower of Jesus, 
and then they do something totally contrary to it, what do you think? What's the word that comes to everyone's mind in English? Hypocrite, right? In other languages, I don't know. But I mean, in English, that's, it's like automatic. The word hypocrite just jumps right there, right? And so what happens is that we are in danger when we do that of becoming false prophets because then that person says, well, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus person because we as Christians are not living our lives in producing fruit. Let's talk about this because it's not that bad for, for those of us who are serious about getting on the rock. So you can identify false prophets. You can also, in Luke, Jesus talks about general people. You can identify people by their fruit. That is by the way they act. So that's interesting because in our church, we tend to say that you have to what? Profess, speak that you are a follower of Jesus, right? And that's true. It's not an issue of that. But Jesus also said that speaking is not enough, that it must come out in our lives, that it must bubble out in what we do. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. That's simple, right? If you have an orange tree, it's not going to produce poisonous fruit, right? It's just not going to do it. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire, right? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if a tree, if a person does not produce something of meaning and value... If they're not producing fruit for the kingdom, then what happens? See, this is a problem that should make some of us uncomfortable. A lot of us, me, uncomfortable. Because it doesn't say here, the Bible's clear, it's not saying here that if we don't raise our hand in church or make a statement about something about our relationship with God, that, you know, we're okay. It says that not only do we have to do that, I mean, that's the preface to this, but we have to also do what? Not only acknowledge God, not only acknowledge Jesus, but we have to actually produce something in our lives. Some of you say, well, pastor, my boss can't get me to produce anything, so why do you think you're going to be able to get me to produce anything, right? But it's not me, because if you have really made that commitment to Jesus, and somewhere in your heart and your soul, there should be a desire to produce fruit, right? That means the tree is healthy. And listen, you may be here this morning, you may say, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do it. Hey, that's all good. We'll, we can figure that out. But you've got to produce fruit. Otherwise, you get chopped down and thrown into the fire, which is not much fun. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions, right? Not their words, their actions. That's what makes a difference. Look it up. It's also another example of the, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? This is what Jesus is talking about here. Exactly. So it applies to everyone. Okay, I picked this passage because it was the most succinct. So don't get uh, misled by the false prophet thing. All right. So two ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. Sorry for you that uh, are habitual folks. Uh, it's just going to be two, but that's okay because we're going to have a little work time at the end um, of our message this morning. So first of all, we must not produce bad fruit. If you want to follow along in your handout, you're welcome to do that. We must not produce bad fruit, right? I mean, this is simple. Listen, what is the, what is the result of producing bad fruit, right? Trees that produce bad fruit get do what? We chop them down and we burn them, right? I say we because I'm referring to in our garden, right? What happens in your yard if a thorn bush or a thistle or something that's a weed grows in your yard? What do you do to it? You get rid of it, right? It hurts what? It hurts all the other good plants, right? And so the thing is, Jesus used this analogy of the good fruit and the bad fruit to make a very clear distinction, right? Because the, one of the arguments that, mo that many of the average churchgoers in America, and even some of you BBCers are going to make is, well, what if you're not good or bad, you're just kind of in the middle, right? But there's nothing really in the middle. If you're a gardener, you don't uh, tolerate anything but the good fruit to be there, right? There's no middle. You don't say, well, this is a nice weed, so I'll let the nice weed grow. Or this is sort of in the middle. It's like grass or something, but I'm going to let that grow. No, right? We pull it out. So if we want to be on the, on the rock, then we must not produce bad fruit. We must not do that. We must move away from that. Let's talk about this. Our tendency as people is to produce bad fruit. See, here's the problem. This is why I say this is the battle of our lives. Because it's the battle of our lives because our default setting as people is not to produce good fruit. It's not. I'm sorry. But it's not, right? It, life would be easier if it is, but the problem is we have that issue called what? Called sin, right? Our mistakes, our fallenness, our brokenness. And so because of our brokenness, we don't default to producing fruit. 
our default setting is to produce bad fruit. That's the way it is, all right? So here's the thing. If you go and you, re and you take a baby who's one day old and you go throw him in the woods and you leave him out there in the woods, they ain't going to become Tarzan. What are they going to become? If you've ever seen on the news, what do they become? They become feral, right? They just sort of fall apart and th their brokenness sort of consumes them. Now, I know we hope that we would re rehabilitate them and it'd work out like Tarzan and they get married and, you know, whatever, that sort of thing. But the truth is, is that our very nature, our default nature is to fall backwards rather than to move forward, right? Our default nature is to pursue things that are of our interest rather than God's interest. So this sinfulness, this, this brokenness that we all start out life with is what causes us to produce bad fruit. This is the thing that a lot of people who are outside the church don't want to admit, right? Because they don't want to look in the mirror and say to themselves, you know, I need God, right? They'd rather medicate it away. They'd rather wish it away. They'd rather just ignore it. They'd rather just buy off whoever is going to tell them that um, in the case of, you know, people we see on TV, right? But as people, we start off with bad fruit. That's what we do. I start off with bad fruit. You start off with bad fruit. That's the reason why Jesus says that for us really to get where we need to go, we've got to stop producing bad fruit, and we must do what? We must demonstrate that we are children of God because we must produce good fruit. Good fruit can come out of us, but it is not natural. Let me give you one more example. Let me give you one more example. Our default setting, okay, is to fight rather than to show unselfish love. You know why? If you guys have ever seen the show The Office, which I don't get to watch all the time, right? It's a TV show, but it's about life in the cubicles, right? And what do people do in the cubicles? They don't stop peace, love, and harmony, right? What do they do? They fight like cats and dogs, right? Because if you put a bunch of people in a bunch of cubicles in an office and give them things to do, what are they going to do? Kumbaya, right? It's going to break out. No, it's not. Our default setting is to be negative. Our default setting in life, because not because we chose it, but because the sinful nature, well, we did choose it to a certain degree, but because the original sin in our lives causes us to produce bad fruit from the beginning. Look, here's the thing. We all know people who appear good on the outside, but are prickly to the touch, right? This is another demonstration of this, right? There's people who are good, look pretty on the outside, but are really prickly to the touch. You know, I think of people, I mean, I just pick on the Hollywood folks sometimes, but I think of some of the folks in Hollywood, you know, who look really nice on screen, but then when you hear them in the interviews, it's like, shh, don't talk anymore, right? Because they're so prickly on the inside and say things that are just, you know, hurtful and insulting to each other and all that kind of stuff. Christian Bale, if you guys were watching, you know, the news uh, this week, would be a good example, right, of an actor who's handsome, I guess, you know, um, on the outside, but just a horrible person on the inside. He apologized, but still. So we all know this, right? And that's the problem. We're, in, in our heart of hearts, we want to produce bad fruit, right? The funny thing about a thistle is what? This is a thistle, right? A thistle is what? I had a hard time. I mean, I Googled thistle, and I was like, yeah, that's it. And then it struck me really funny because a thistle's kind of pretty, right? It's kind of pretty, but, you know, I wouldn't want to grab that thing by the hand, right? Just grab a hold of it. How would that feel? Not very good, right? The thing is, is that if we see that in the garden, what are we going to do? Are we going to pet it, talk to it, make it feel good, right? Or are we going to rip it out? We're going to go get the shears and rip it out, right? Because it is not good. It's not producing anything that's of value. Our tendency as people is to produce bad fruit. And here's the thing, though. Sorry for all of us here, me, you, everyone. But listen, you've got to hear this. No fruit is just as bad as bad fruit, Okay? Because a lot of people, when I talk to them, they're going to say, and we're going to talk about this when we get to our work area this morning, but a lot of people are going to say, well, pastor, I don't really produce any fruit, but I come to church. Isn't that good enough? Don't take my word for it. Look what Jesus says. It's not that we have to produce fruit. No fruit is just bad fruit because our natural tendency is to produce bad fruit. And so if we're not producing any good fruit in our lives, then what do we have to show for it? Just bad fruit. Listen, if you've been in church as long as I have, or longer, you know that churches sometimes attract thistles, don't they? They attract people who are just, you know, they're not producing fruit, and so they figure, I look pretty, I'm just going to go and show up and make everyone else's life miserable, right? Now, we don't, how do I, can I say this nicely? 
We don't tolerate that here because if somebody comes in and just wants to be a thistle, um, I encourage them to, to either change and get bare fruit or find somewhere else to, to be a thistle at, right? Because I'm trying to protect the sheep. But at the same time, that's there, there's a danger because you, and I'm speaking you, meaning all everybody who comes to BBC, there's a tendency for you to, to if you don't sort of produce fruit, to do what? To kind of morph back into being a thistle, right? And that's a real danger. It's a real danger because then what happens? Well, let me give you an example. I mean, again, just from my experience as a pastor, some of the worst people to deal with are church leaders, right? Sometimes pastors, elders, deacons, right? I mean, why? Because what happens is, is that they do what? They, they sort of start out, maybe at some point in their life they're producing fruit, but then they decide they don't want to produce any more fruit, so what happens? They slowly be, turn back to producing bad fruit. That's all of our nature. They become thistles, and then they look pretty, but they're really just thistles, right? And this is not anti-anyone, really, although I've had some experience with thistles in churches. But it's a call for all of us to have a heart that's broken after Jesus and want to produce fruit. That's what it's a call to. Because if we're not producing fruit, then it's a surefire way to be headed towards the burning, to be pulled out. Jesus, this is the thing I think is interesting too. Now, I don't know anything about plants, okay? I'm just, I'm not a gardener. I'm just going to tell you up front. Some of you may critique me on this. But I just have to think about my experience growing up in the country. Because I grew up in the country where, you know, there was tons of thorns and thistles and all kinds of, you know, we had acres and acres of, of woods and stuff you could run around and play in, right? So I, 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 I'm not, no, don't know anything about plants, but I do know a lot of, about plants from running around and getting torn up by them, skinned up knees and all that stuff as a kid. But the thing I thought was interesting, that Jesus used examples of thistles and thorns, which don't really produce little visible fruit. I mean, I know as plants, they have, technically they have fruit, but at least thorns that I'm experienced with, they don't have fruit that, that you could see. I mean, we had this thing called devil's walking stick. It was about this tall, it was about this thick, and it had little thorns, all, and it was very painful all the way up um, the, the branch. I don't know what you call it in California, but, um, and the thing is, though, is that it didn't really produce visible fruit. You know, you have, I searched for poisonous fruit, and it came up with thousands of different varieties, right? Like holly berries and hemlock, you, if you eat those things, you ain't going to be feeling very good the next day, right? But the thing is, is that I don't know if they're in the Middle East, maybe, you know, is outside the culture of, of people there, but the interesting thing is, is that thistles and thorn bushes, the one Jesus uses, not only do they produce in bad fruit, but they don't seem to produce really any fruit at all, right? Not anything that's visible, which gets us back to my point, that no fruit is bad fruit. No fruit is bad fruit, right? Every one of us has the ability, the God-given ability to produce good fruit, but our natural tendency is to produce bad fruit, okay? Our natural tendency is to hate before love. Our natural tendency is to fight rather than to make peace. Our natural tendency is to tear down rather than to build up, right? It's easier to tear down our coworker than it is to build them up, right? Oh, I know what I'm going to say to that person, right? See, that's easy. But to really bear fruit of love is a lot harder. Here's the thing. Let me just prove this to you. Matthew 25, 29, Jesus says here, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, right? Not produce bad fruit even, but just do nothing, because nothing is bad fruit. For, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now again, he's talking to those of us in the church here, because if we live our lives not producing anything from the kingdom, what happens? If we take all the resources that God has given us, whether it's this much or this much, and we do nothing with it, then the Bible's clear that it's just going to be taken away from us in the end. Because we haven't done anything with it. We haven't done what God has asked us to do. That's why producing is important. That's why I'm up here. I, you know, you guys know I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, you know, God kept calling me and I said, I'm, I won't do that, Lord. I don't want to do that because, well, I mean, why would I do that? Why would I do something crazy like that, right? I mean, why would I do something insane like pastor a church, right? And, and, and the more God spoke to me, the more I, and the more I studied the word, I realized that I want to do something that really mattered. I mean, that wasn't the issue. I knew I really wanted to do something that mattered with my life, right? Something that mattered for the kingdom. But then I had to ask, what's, what's, let's not talk minimums here. Let's talk maximums. What is the greatest thing that I can do? And when I started to change my mindset, I mean, John F. Kennedy stole that really from a biblical idea. You know, what, don't ask, I, I never can get it right. Don't ask, but, you know, ask what you can do, right? 
what can I do, God, to maximize my time here on earth, right? It's the same question that all of us should ask because no matter what resources we've been given, God can take it and multiply it a hundred times over. That's from this parable that this comes out of. All right, secondly this morning is that we must produce good fruit. We're going to move fast here because I want to make sure we have time for our work area. Good fruit is valuable and significant fruit, right? Here's the thing. What happens? And this was more true in the ancient world than it is today because we go to Costco and we buy these cases of fruit, right? And uh, we don't think much of it. But fruit, uh, as I've learned now that I've got two kids, fruit can be kind of expensive, right? I mean, fruit also is valuable, right? We don't, it's one of those things that we don't want to waste. If there's a cracker left laying around the house, you know, uh, that may just get tossed in the trash can, but fruit gets eaten more times than not, right? Fruit tastes good. It's valuable. I mean, in the ancient world, fruit was kind of like dessert. I mean, it was kind of like that, a special treat that you had. You know, if you had a chance to have dates or bananas or, uh, they didn't have cherries and strawberries, I don't think, but, you know, if you had a chance to have fruit, it was special. It was something that was valuable. It's something that's significant, right? So you didn't go. You know, if, I'll give you this example, too. Every time I've ever been to Africa, when, when I'm out in the villages and I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and we'll be walking along trails. First time, first time I ever went, this happened to me. We're walking, walking along the trail, and I don't see civilization anywhere, right? And I see this banana tree, and it's full of beautiful bananas, and I think, wow, here I am in Africa, you know. I'm just going to go grab a banana and have it, you know. It's really good. And I reach out to go grab the banana, and one of, my go- one of, our, uh, one of the pastors grabbed my hand. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I was going to get a banana. He said, you know, somebody owns that banana. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> this is out in the middle of nowhere. He goes, oh, no, the person who owns this banana knows the banana is there. And I didn't know if he was kidding. Like, is this supposed to be a spiritual metaphor? But I realized after being there enough that they really do that because this, a fruit is important to them. This is their food, right? I mean, this is a big source of food. And they know which trees are theirs and which trees are their neighbors, Right? I mean, you're not going to make the mistake of getting in your neighbor's Mercedes, right? Oh, I thought that was my Mercedes, right? Well, same way there. They take their fruit seriously. They're not going to make that mistake, right? So I didn't realize it, but I was stealing. I mean, I almost stole someone's fruit, right? Good fruit is valuable and significant. And so it's important that we... Oh, there's my, my image there I missed. But it's important that we produce good fruit because if we produce good fruit, it's very valuable. People want it, right? I mean, if we had, like, fresh watermelon and bananas and berries outside, you guys would leave right now, and you go get some, right? Sugar down, peaches, you know, that, that's you know, what we had growing up and all that kind of stuff, right? And the thing is, is that when we produce fruit for the kingdom, other people want to do what? They want to taste and see that God is good as well. Right? That's what they want to do. If you go to work tomorrow morning and you go to your cubicle, and you stand up on your desk, and you yell outside all the cubicle racks and say, hey, everyone, you need to believe in Jesus. Most people are going to be like, you crazy person, get down. Because they're hearing words. But I tell you what, if you do something that's even close to the Good Samaritan example in the Bible at work, you will have people desiring to see what makes you different. Because you're producing fruit. And then here's the kicker, because when we produce the fruit, what do we do? We don't deny it. We say, well, the reason why I'm producing the fruit is because I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that he is my Savior and has allowed me to do that, right? And then there's no one in the world who could ever argue with that. They may not like it. Some people you'll meet won't like it, but they cannot argue with it because they will see the fruit and there's nothing that can, they can do. How would it be to jump, chomp down on that and eat that? Would that taste good? No, it wouldn't taste very good, right? Here's the thing. When we live our lives, maybe even saying things about Jesus, inviting our friends and family to church, but we're not producing fruit, we're asking them to taste this. If we go to work tomorrow and we say, hey, you, you need to believe in Jesus, but our lives don't demonstrate fruit, what happens is you're asking them to bite down on this. And people won't do it. They're not going to do it. Oh, you'll find one who will just be daring and will try it. Hey, I'll try anything once, right? And so they'll try the Lord that way. But it's, that's the reason why when we invite people, one out of ten come if we're not bearing fruit. Good fruit is the best evidence of living on concrete, right? I mean, when we want 
proof or evidence, if I want to see and know that someone is really trying to live their life for the Lord, I just do what? I don't listen to what they say, just look at what they're doing, right? I mean, I listen to what they say a little bit. You know, here's the thing. I, I found, th this is, Noelle, you know, as you guys know, is like official therapist, right? I mean, she's been to school for it. You know, she does counseling. Um, she's on, you know, maternity leave. But, you know, she's what I would call a professional or she's technically still interned by the, by the state. But she gets paid. That's her day job is to counsel people, right? Well, when I do counseling um, of folks, it's not as often as her. And I always liken myself to an EMT. I just want to go and get them, get them, you know, back working again. And then I'll send them off to someone like that or, you know, send them off to whatever, whatever can help them, you know. And, um... The thing is, is that I've learned over the years, when people come in and talk to me, that I basically, and I, this is going to sound really bad, so just stay with me for a second, because all of you are thinking, I'm never coming to him. But I almost don't listen to what people say after they tell me the first sentence. And I'm not meaning that I don't listen. But what happens is, is that people come in and they'll say, I have a problem with my marriage. And then they'll, or whatever, just an example, and then they'll go on this long spiel about he said, she said, all this other stuff that doesn't really matter because the issue is I have a problem with my marriage, right? I mean, that's the fundamental issue. So it's not like I don't listen to other things, but I, they're sort of, I listen to the first thing and then everything else just kind of gets shoved on a table because if you, they're just symptoms. They're just symptoms, right? The problem is, is that our lives are symptomatic most of us, the average churchgoer, is symptomatic of saying things about God, but never actually producing the fruit, or producing so minimal, so anemic fruit that the rest of it doesn't matter. So here's the thing. This is the problem. When you stand before God one day, and He wants to know what you've done with the resource, and this is in the Bible, okay? Jesus uses the parable. When we stand before God, and He wants to know what we've done with the resource that God has given them, we're going to say, well, God... I only did, I, I did do this, and then we're going to do what? Have a lot of detail that doesn't change the score, right? The score is this person has a bad marriage. The score is we just never produced any fruit. The danger is what does the Bible say about people who don't produce fruit? I'm not going to say it. Tell, I'm not going to say it. You don't need to hear me say it. You know it. You read it this morning, right? You've got to produce fruit. There has to be fruit in your life. All right, let's, let's do this. If you have a pencil, grab it out of your thing. Oh, let me just say this. Producing fruit for the kingdom is surefire proof you're moving to solid ground. I mean, that, that's, that's evidence. It's evidence that you're moving to solid ground. All right, grab a pencil. What kind of fruit am I producing right now? Don't give me no stinky fruit, right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about stinky fruit. I don't want stinky fruit, okay? I don't want fruit you did when you were in third grade, okay? Yeah, you gave Sally your pencil back, and you got beat up on the playground for it. Wonderful, that's awesome. That was third grade. I don't care about it now, okay? Stinky fruit, all right? What kind of fruit am I producing? All right, now, let me say this. I'm going to give a warning before I enter into this section here and talk about this for a second. Because all of these I'm going to give are examples, okay? The, the, the thing is, as a person, you guys know this, is that um, I'm not very detail-oriented. I'm like a big picture, right? So a lot of times when I speak on Sunday morning, I'm just big picture. I'm like, here's this big idea. Go and figure it out for your life. But like, a lot of times I realize because people say it to me, they're like, Pastor, I'm not as big a thinker as you. I need you to tell me A, B, C, D. How do I A, B, C, D this? Okay? So sometimes I totally go against my, my personality, and I'm going to do an A, B, C, D. Okay? So for those of you that appreciate A, B, C, D, here's A, B, C, D. Okay? Here it is. But I'm just warning you, this is just examples. Okay? These are just examples. Actual results may vary because I don't know what God is calling you to do. All right? But here's, let me give some examples. Let me give you some examples of bad fruit disregarding God's plan for your life. That would be the biggest bad fruit that there is, right? Just saying, God, you know, I don't care about it. I'm just going to be a thistle. I'm going to be a thorn. Bad fruit. Let me see if I can get my thing up here. Okay. All right. Yeah, I do. Okay, good. A wasting resources God gave you, like talents or money. Surefire way of producing bad fruit. Just never doing anything with what God gave you. Coming, sitting in church, sitting out in the hill, whatever, singing kumbaya and never doing anything with it. Living in a selfish way towards others. Now, we have to be careful here, right? Because all of us, our default is to do what? To think about ourselves before others. I'm bad at this. You ask my wife, she'll say I'm the most selfish person in the world. Trust me, right? I was trying to think of a way, nice way of saying that, but I, I just couldn't do it. Um, 
working for earthly, not eternal rewards, right? I know this is never Silicon Valley, right? But we, t- our tendency, this is bad fruit. If we build houses, we build mansions, we build b- businesses, we build retirement homes, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm talking about building these things into our lives, right? We build all this stuff into our lives. But then those things are only earthly values, right? Starting fights. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, speaking for God to hurt others, right? This would be a bad fruit. Say, oh, God told you that you should, oh, like the guy on the radio, God told you you should never go to church, right? Because churches are evil, right? That kind of stuff. That's going to get you in hot water, right? And starting fights among God's people, right? Now, a lot of times, you know, I mention this because this is near and dear to my heart, because the Bible talks about that if we fight among our brethren, then it's like it's an abomination, right? And we all know what the Bible talks about other things of being an abomination, right? So these are just some examples. These are just some examples. Let's talk about some good fruit. Good fruit is pursuing God's will for your life. You know, what is God leading you to do? That's a good fruit. L- investing resources that God gave you, that's a good fruit, right? All, a lot of the parables talk about us investing our money and our talents in what God is doing. Living in an unselfish, loving way towards others, that's going to be impossible, I know. I mean, I'm being facetious, but I'm also being true, right? It's very difficult. Working for eternal rewards is good fruit. Being humble about your relationship with God, I think, is good fruit. Remember the, the guy that prayed on the street corner and wanted to hear and everyone want, you know, so that everyone would hear, right? Well, it's easy for us to go, once we've been to church and Pastor Douglas has got it amped up like we're on a double-shot espresso, right? It's easy to go to work or, uh, or with our family and say, hey, stop sinning, get out of, you know, stop doing this, right? Get your life together. But the problem is that's not, I don't know that's going to produce the best fruit, Okay. So being humble about your relationship with God, creating harmony among God's people, meaning the church is also good fruit. All right, let's talk about this. When I stand before God, the fruit I have to show is what? Now I'm being serious here, guys, this morning, because I want to know what fruit, I'm not going to ask you literally, but I want to know what fruit you have and what fruit you're doing. I'm doing ABCD this morning, okay? It's weird for me, weird for you, but we're going to try it. What fruit are you producing right now for the kingdom? Let me give you some examples. Okay, let me just give some examples. Here's Johnny Q. Churchgoers fruit. All right, I assigned a value on them. It's just an example. Okay, it's, there's no point system in the Bible, but I'm I, I did sports all growing up, and so I just think of points. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is what I did: one to ten points. Okay, Johnny Q. Church. If Johnny Q. Churchgoer stood up before the Lord, this would be uh, the, I try to think of the average churchgoer in America. Okay, here would be his points. Oh, did one? Oh, yeah, okay. So attended church one time a month, value. I wanted to put zero in my heart, but I, I was going to be nice, so I put one. Sunday school as a kid, value one, because your mama makes you be there. And you don't listen. You don't listen, I know. I was in Sunday school. Okay, you were baptized. I wanted to put a lower number, but I didn't want to offend anyone, so I put five, because baptism is a public profession of faith, but the problem is, is that a lot, the average churchgoer they get baptized as a kid. They don't know. It doesn't really have, maybe it has a, a ritualistic meaning, but it doesn't have, it's not producing a fruit producing. But I was nice. I put five. Attended youth camp, one, because your mama made you be there, two. Gave point zero two percent of earnings. I want to give that zero also, but I was kind and put one. Served in an usher, I put three, because, uh, you know, nothing to get, I don't want anybody to give up their ushering here. But ushering is kind of a perfunctory job, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's important, don't get me wrong, but it is somewhat perfunctory. If you don't have anything on your resume, as it were, uh, as a churchgoer, then be an usher. It's a good place to start, right? But it's still not everything that God wants you to be. Oh, but here's the problem with Johnny Q, churchgoer. Gossip about the church, negative eight. So he's back down to about zero, right? And the fruit category. Okay, so let's talk about this. How does one turn bad fruit into good fruit? Because all of us start out with a default of bad. So I'm going to give some examples here, all right? Let's give some examples. Here we go. Four examples, transforming fruit. If we disregard other people, this is the fruit of love. Disregarding other people, value is what? Zero. Okay? Tolerating other people, I hate to break it to you, according to the Bible, is also probably zero, right? Um, Random kindness to other people, probably not much more than two. I know Hollywood really pushes that, you know, but the truth is, is that random acts of kindness are nice, but they don't really build the kingdom they're just, you're just being nice to people. But I think that it's still showing elementary love. So I, I, I just decided to give it to you. Again, these are just my numbers. Showing love to other people, five, right? I mean, if you really, and I don't mean love like romantic love, but I mean, if you really go out of your way and try to love someone, okay? 
showing love to hateful other people, right? That gets you a nine, because that's almost loving your enemies, right? I mean, there's lots of hateful people in the world. You work with them. You're probably, I won't say married, but you're rel- related to many of them, right? And, uh, and, and, and showing love to them is the hardest thing to do, right? And finally, showing love to hateful people with no recognition has got to be like a 10. It's got to be like a 10, right? So every day you wake up, you're going to meet people that you can bear fruit to. You can show what? You can tolerate them, or you can just decide to drift into love. Well, look how much of a difference that makes between tolerating and loving. I'm not saying it's easy, but you go from, just on my Douglas' scale, which has nothing to do with God's scale, but on my scale anyways, the way I think about the world from reading the Bible, you go from a zero to a five, right? Man, I'd like to have some fives. Based on Johnny Q Public, right, Johnny Q Churchgoer, I'd like to have some fives on mine. All right, let's talk about this fruit. This is serving in the house of God. Number one, attending church on Creaster, right? That's what we call it when you know, people just come you know, for the holidays, right? Uh, value, eh, zero, right? Basically, you know, it's not really. Attending church regularly. I want to put zero, but I put one because at least you're trying to be somewhat obedient to God's call. So that's good, okay? Serving as an usher. I made it a two here. I forgot that I made it a three there. You can make it a two or a three. The thing is, is that I want, to, I want to mention this because serving as an usher, I'm just picking on the ushers this morning, because ushering is fine. It's an act of service. It's, it's helping other people, but it's still somewhat perfunctory. Do you guys know what I mean by perfunctory? It's sort of just you, you, your heart doesn't have to be in it. You, you know what I mean? I mean, when Rich or Dennis or these guys come up here and they're serving... They could be up here. You know, I'm just kidding. They don't really do that, but they could be. In their mind, they could be thinking, man, I wonder what time the game, you know, it's, it's sort of perfunctory. It's, it's good because you're being obedient, but all of you ushers, come on. Here, we're going to go. We're going to go from a two or three to five. Hosting a life group, okay? I know we're doing life groups, so I picked that one for this, uh, for obvious reasons, but what are you doing there? You're providing a place where fruit can grow, right? You're providing a place where people can talk about Jesus and can grow in their relationship and, and develop some spiritual depth. So i got to give that at least a five. Teaching children in Sunday school. I know this is, uh, everybody hates to do this, but I thought about it. This has like got to be at least an eight, because what are you doing? You're proclaiming the truth of the gospel to people who are interested in it. That's bearing some fruit, right? I mean, I want that on my resume, right? I, when I stand before God, I want to be able to say, Lord, in my life, there was 50 kids that I had, and I tried to, as best I could to teach them the Bible. And you know what? Many of them grew up, and they became Christians, and they became this, and they became that for the kingdom. That's awesome. That's what God calls us to do, right? What does he tell disciples? Go and do what? Tell people. Disciple them. That's got to be an eight or nine. And then truly desiring to serve however God asks, not me, not the church, but how God asks, that's got to be the ten, Right? All right, listen, all of you here, think about this. You, if you're a zero right now, it's not that hard to move to a two or three. If you're a three, it's not that hard to move to a five. Transforming fruit. Um, this is uh, sharing the gospel. Wanting to invite someone to church, value is what? Zero, right? Because intentions don't really get us anywhere, okay? Number, uh, praying only that someone will go to church. Well, I want to give that lower, but I don't want to discount the power of prayer, right? But still, praying that someone will go to church is... is all right, this just going to say it is a little bit of a of a what do you call it a wimpy let out, right? You know, uh, b- because it's important. I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm not saying it's not absolutely critical we don't go to God. But the problem is God tasks us clearly in the Bible to do what? To go and invite them, to tell them about what God has done. And many Christians I know they use the song and dance and they say, well, I'm going to pray about it. And what that means is that they're not really going to do much about it. Okay. One, you know one of the tricks I learned as a pastor? It's, I don't want to use the word trick, but it's, it's a good trick. Is this, and a pastor told me this, is he says, when someone comes to you and tells you to pray for them about something, pray for it immediately. Don't stop. Even if you don't do it with them, pray for it immediately. You know why? Because your mind is weak, and you will forget it within five minutes. Right? So that's why I say it's a cop-out. That's the word I want to It's a little bit of a cop-out for many of us, okay? What about this? Inviting someone to church, I gave it a four because I think that's good, you're inviting them to hear the gospel. What about investing in a person and inviting them, rather than just shooting out random invitations, you know, on, uh, 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 well, how about investing, loving them first, and then in one? Giving no money, resources to God, zero, right? Dropping a buck in the offering plate, also zero, right? Uh, I put a buck, it could be a 20, depending upon your financial situation, I don't know. Giving 2% back to God, I would say probably one. Here's the thing, though. 
because God doesn't really, I don't really believe that God works on percentages, right? And that's why people ask me, I mean, three and a half years here, I've never really preached on tithing per se, and I don't because I preach on stewardship, right? But if, if we just want to take it as just a numerical thing here, giving 10% is a requirement to God, well, we're being obedient, right? But God doesn't want us to be obedient as much as he wants us to be what? Obedience is good. That gets us halfway there. But God wants us to do what? Love him, right? To be cheerfully give and cheerfully make a difference. So giving 10% or whatever number you, you want to put there out of love for God's kingdom has got to be a nine. And then just giving cheerfully whatever God asks, whether it's the widow's might or whatever, I don't care. See, the numbers don't matter to me. What matter? The, oh, I'm sorry. These numbers don't matter to me. Per, oh, wait. Where'd I go? Sorry. These numbers, to me, as I read Scripture, these numbers are not important. These numbers are important. So we want to do a 10, then whatever God asks, we give. And this is hard, right? Because we got bills, we got issues, we got problems. But you can easily see this morning, I think, doing this ABCD thing, crazy thing here this morning, that the typical churchgoer is around a zero, a one, or a two in the fruit they're producing. And each one of you have the power and the ability to move up to a five, a six, or a seven in a, just a few weeks. I mean, it's going to take some changes, but you can do it. You can do it. And you know why you need to do it? Not because I'm saying you need to do it, because God has called you to do it. That's the commitment you entered into, right? That when you said, yes, I want Jesus as Savior, God said, listen, then, then live your life as if Jesus really is the Savior. Live your life that way. And if we live our lives that way, then we have no choice but to produce fruit. Now let me just, I know some of you are going to come with me, come to me afterwards and you say, but pastor, I can't do X. Fine, do Y and Z, okay? If, you're a, if you have to be a one on a certain area for whatever reason, then make the other areas a 10. Again, compared to most the average churchgoer, you're going to be way, way up there, right? You're going to be really, really involved in what God is doing. All right, real quickly here, I hope today is this, is that we can produce much fruit and build on a solid foundation. Let's just pray about this. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and I know that it's difficult to hear at times that, that maybe that we're a one, maybe we're a three, maybe we're a five when we thought we were a five, an eight, or a ten. But Father, I just pray for all the people at BBC, myself included, that it would just challenge us to give and do more for the kingdom. Father, that our lives would not be defined by being ones and twos. Lord, we deal with that at work. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be that for the kingdom. So Father, I just pray this morning that each of us would just really take hold of your call in our lives, whatever it may be, Father, and that we would be willing to bear good fruit. That's what it's all about. Lord, you look at us by our fruit, not by the words that we say. Father, and we just pray that you would help us to bear good fruit into our lives. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.